I grew up in the church, but I didn't grow up in a Christian family. And so my parents, my brothers are not Christian. Uh, I am Christian only because uh, in second grade, a family friend, I slept over at their house, and they just took me to church with them one day. So I was like, all right, I'll just go, second grader, whatever. And uh, I went, and ever since then, I kind of just attended because there's this thing in Southern California. If you're Korean American, you go to church, right? And so um, even though my parents didn't go with me, they'll drop me off, give me that $1 for offering, and I'll go, and I'll put it in the offering basket, and I'll just attend. And I did that. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I did that all throughout junior high. Um, I always served in the church, so we called it cabinet, like church cabinet, like leadership. It's like leadership. And so I, I always did that um, just because I think even since I was younger, I felt like I was a natural leader. And so I just wanted to serve always. Um, but in junior high, when I was in eighth grade, um, my, I have two older brothers. Their names are Chris and Michael. Um, Chris, he's two years older than me. But uh, when, when, actually, when he was in eighth grade, I was in sixth grade. Uh, I remember coming home, I, I, t- I got off the bus, and I was, like, walking home, and then it was really tense in my house, and I found out that my brother just got kicked out of junior high. He got expelled uh, because of his gang affiliation and because uh, he was selling drugs. We call it slanging. He was slanging marijuana, and so he got caught, and so he got kicked out of school, and so um, that was just the beginning of a lot of trauma and, like, hardships for my family and my parents. Um, in addition to that, in eighth grade, uh, my best friend, a lot of you guys, a lot of these students here, um, that have been here for a while. You guys have heard parts of my testimony, but I don't think have fully heard it. Um, so I'm going to actually fully share it today. Um, yeah, in eighth grade, my best friend, Eugene, he actually got killed uh, because he got bullied. And so what happened was one day he was, uh, like, he got into a fight with his parents or something, so he left home. And then he went to, like, Barnes & Nobles, because like, we all chilled at Barnes & Nobles back in the days when we were in eighth grade. And then... Um, he got bullied by this, like, high schooler, this, like, third-year junior in high school. And so he took his money. And, you know, Eugene by himself, what is he going to do to fend off, like, a bunch of high school kids? So he just, you know, gave it to them. But uh, I think later on, I think in hindsight, he thought about it. And he was, like, already pissed off at his parents. He was, like, upset. So he's like, man, I'm going to go get my money back. So he found out a couple of days later that this kid was having a birthday party at a local park. And so um, he went by himself. And basically, you know, they got into a fight, and it was just him and eighth grader versus high school kids, like five of them. Like, and so um, they got into, like, a fight, and also, basically when Eugene was on the ground, the high schooler stomped on his chest, and so immediately his heart stopped beating. And so um, I was notified. This was a Saturday night. On Sunday morning, I remember I went to church, got a phone call from his cousin. He's like, oh, sir, Eugene, did you hear about Eugene? I was like, no. He's like, oh, Eugene died last night. And I was like, what are you talking about, right? And so I found out that um, yeah, he died on the way to the hospital. And so um, later they did an autopsy. And the autopsy report showed that he had pre-existing heart conditions because of drugs that he did. So we were in eighth grade, but he smoked a lot of weed. Um, he did a lot of drugs. That actually, I didn't even know about and I was his best friend. Um, but I think he, you know, had hung out with a lot of people, certain people. And because of that, he had a pre-existing heart condition, I think it's drugs mixed with uh, family history. And so because of the way that this high schooler stomped on his chest, it happened to stop his heart. And so he passed away. And so that was me in eighth grade. I had to deal with family trauma with my brother getting kicked out with drugs and my best friend dying because of drugs. And so, um, yeah, it was really hard for me at a young age to kind of cope with that. And also because I saw how drugs and alcohol and things kind of like was screwing things up around me, right? My family, my best friend. I kind of vowed to myself, like, I'm never going to do drugs and I'm never going to, like, disappoint my parents because everyone else is disappointing their parents and all these things. But naturally, I went to high school and I grew up. And, um, yeah, as my friends started one by one, 
um, kind of like getting bored with life and trying out new things, picking up drinking, picking up smoking. Um, I, in my junior year of high school, my third year, I began to start drinking, right? Peer pressure, it happens. And so um, the one thing led to another. And uh, yeah, I just, I started picking up habits of drinking heavily and smoking cigarettes and smoking weed and all these things. And um, I remember in my fourth year, I went to like, I was kind of like going in and out of church. And then my friends, my church friends were like, can you please come to this last youth group retreat? It's the last one to just come. So I was like, oh, whatever. So they dragged me and I went. And I remember sitting at that, that, that retreat. It was during like the first worship night, the session. And I was sitting there. And um, yeah, I can't explain the feelings, but I was sitting back there and I was getting angry. Like I was, the more I saw like my friends worshiping the Lord, I started getting pissed like inside, like more angrier and angrier to the point where I had to leave the room. So I actually sat outside. We're like in the mountains somewhere, like two hours away. I sat outside in winter, like by myself for like three hours because I couldn't stand being in there. And I think at that moment, I was like, man, like God is not real. What the heck? What is this? You know? And I just walked away. And I remember I made up a lie. I asked my mom to come pick me up. She drove three hours up a mountain to come pick me up and take me home. And um, that began kind of my like exodus from church. And so that was my senior year of high school. So from senior year to about my third year of college, I stopped attending church um, altogether. And, um, you know, and as I did that, well, initially I kept going out, you know, when I was doing, starting to do those things, just because like it's habit. I'm a leader. I have to serve. I have to do all these things. But naturally like guilt and shame kicked in. And so I was like, man, I, I actually can't, like, I don't want to be here when I'm like, this you know when i'm like this like messed up and so that's where i decided to stop going out um and so yeah i left the church in about 2009 at the end of my senior year and from there i began to explore more drugs i started smoking more i started drinking more like i i can't even tell you how many times i blacked out just because i can't remember um and i did a lot of ecstasy um i know it doesn't look like it i look kind of like i like an angel <laughs> you know what i'm saying i <laughs> just kidding i just kidding but uh yeah no no? All right. Yeah, but I, I started lying a lot. I started, like, you know, um, hiding things, like hiding things from my family, hiding things from my friends. Uh, a lot of people didn't know. Like, I was living this double life. Uh, I began to, you know, fall into more sexual sin. And I started doing a lot of stupid things that kind of left me uh, feeling, like, proud, kind of. Like, yeah, like, I'm smoking in the back of Starbucks. Yeah, I look cool, you know? But also, like, I did a lot of things where it left me not wanting other people to know what I'm doing because I just felt, like, so shameful about it, um, you know? And I never wanted people to know what I was doing. But in the midst of this, in 2010, I, I came out to Korea. So 2010, I came out once for a summer program. But the only reason why I came out was because I just wanted to, like, drink here, right? Korea. It's like the drinking age is really like, you know, it's different. I wasn't 20, 21 yet. I was only 20 years old. So I was like, I want to go. And I went crazy here for like four months in the summer. Um, I didn't study at all. I was here for Yonsei, like, yes, the summer school program. But I was pretty much not here. I, was, I just came. I used my parents' money just to like have fun. But, you know, there was good that came out of that experience because it was then where I kind of started getting this heart for Korea. You know, I'm, I'm a Korean American. I'm born and raised in California. I barely know anything about Korean culture back then. And so for me, I only identified as like, I'm American, you know, like whatever. But I came out to Korea and I started getting to know the culture, getting to know the people here and started kind of like realizing, dang, I'm Korean. I'm kind of proud of it. Koreans are pretty cool, you know. And um, during that time, I started kind of researching about North Korea as well. Growing up in California and America, you don't like back then, especially you don't really hear a lot about North Korea except all oh, their nuclear threat, all oh, they're doing tests, all oh, they're going to bomb us, all oh, they bombed that boat, some, you know, things like that. But I didn't know that there's 
like what was happening? There's prison camps. There's people, refugees. There's people trying to escape. There's like all this idolatry and all this death there, right? I didn't know all those things, but while I was in Korea, that sparked my interest in this nation. Started asking questions like, why is Korea separated? Like what happened? And I started researching all that. And that's when I got that heart for North Korea just deposited in me. And so that was um, that. And then fast forward to November, around Thanksgiving 2011, um, I was in the middle of transitioning from a junior college. So like it was my sophomore year, second year in college, and I was going to transfer over to UC Irvine because you know, I did good and I was about to transfer. And, but, and I was kind of, that's when I realized, oh, I want to study human rights. I actually want to study some things. But um, it was like, I remember November 2011, I was, it was Thanksgiving night afterwards. My friends were like, hey, tomorrow, it's Black Friday, right, for Thanksgiving. Yeah, it was like, oh, let's go, to, let's go to Best Buy and wait in line and, like, get, like, TVs and stuff tomorrow. I was like, okay, hey, but, like, tonight, like, we're going to go to our friend's house and, like, do E, you want to come? E's ecstasy. So I was like, oh, quit, okay. So after Thanksgiving, after I'm like, yeah, thank you, family, I, like, bounced. And I went to my friend's house. And that night, um, I took a lot of drugs. I did probably, like, three three different things and to the point where I kind of and the thing with ecstasy I, I'm I always give a drug lesson because you guys need to know that the thing with this that drug in particular is it kind of releases all your endorphins your happiness and so like you know you're you're super happy you're joyful you love everyone and things like that but when I was there that night I remember I, I started having all these specific thoughts of like like what am I doing like dang what am I doing with my life I'm about to transfer. I'm about to go study something. I, I think I found what I want to do. Like, why am I wasting my time? Like, we look like freaks. If someone walks in here and sees us, like, playing with all these things and stuff, they're going to think we're, like, crazy, you know? And I started bad tripping. I started having all these thoughts. And so that's when I kind of, I was like, dang, I don't know what's going on. I never felt this way. And so I, I, asked, I remember I asked my friend that was going home, hey, can you take me home because I, I can't be here? He's like, all right. So I went, I went home. And that was like, I still remember to this day, that was the worst I've ever felt in my life. I think if you talk about you hitting rock bottom, I think that was the worst feeling I've ever felt. Um, the come down of the drug, because you release all your endorphins, you feel depressed. And that's why people keep doing it, because it keeps, you know, you don't have to feel that, right? But I felt it, and it was so bad. And I remember those, like, that night was the worst sleep because I couldn't sleep. I tried to take NyQuil to make myself fall asleep, but it wouldn't work. And I was just so depressed. I think that's when I realized... Like, hey, I can't, like, I can't do this anymore, you know? Like, what am I doing? And so, um, yeah, I decided, I texted my friends, and I was like, hey, like, uh, I kinda, I'm kind of going through some things. I think I can't really, like, hang out with you guys. Why? Because they did this, like, every day. And I knew that if I hung out with them, I'm going to keep doing it. So in my, I think even in my immaturity, I still knew I got to separate myself from them. And so I did that. But, you know, I still had my drinking buddies over here. And so I still drank a lot. I still went out to sweet chips, like these little pubs, and I would like get drunk and drink and things like that. But a few months in, I was at UC Irvine. I was studying, and then it was like kind of a similar situation where I was there. I was like really drunk, but I was sitting there and I started thinking. I was like, man, I'm studying at UCI. I'm studying human rights. I'm I kind of know where I'm going, but I, I'm sitting at this table with people. At that time, I was just 21, but everyone at my table were like 25, 26, and all my friends were at like drinking with like high school kids and taking them out and like you know like just hanging out with them and I was thinking like man when I'm 25 26 I want to be like graduated I want to be working I want to be doing something I don't want to be sitting here getting drunk every weekend and like you know what I mean like I don't want to be doing this with underage kids like I, I kind of want to go somewhere I want to do something and so because of that I was like 
shoot, I need to get my act together. And so even then, I knew strategic separation. So I was like, okay, I can't hang out with you guys anymore. But see, at that point, I had no friends, right? Because those are all my friends, my friends that drink and my friends that do drugs. So at that point, I was like, shoot, like, what am I going to do with my life? Who am I going to hang out with? And the one thing that I thought of was like, oh, yeah, I got my church friends, you know? Like, my church friends are always the ones, like, when I was at the back of Starbucks smoking and stuff, they'll, like, come and say hi to me still, even though my face is, like, please get away from me. But, you know, they still tried to love me. And so I remember that. I was like, dang, like, I still have my church friends. And so I reached out to them. Of course, they're super nice. They're like, yeah, like, come come to service with us, you know? And so I remember I went to church for the first time, like, in a long time. And um, that service was about, the sermon was on the prodigal son. A lot of you guys know that probably. It's like how fitting, right? But I've heard that sermon so many times, but like it just like kind of flew over me. But for some reason, I think at that moment, it's exactly what I need to hear because of the state I was in. And so uh, I remember leaving so like challenged and so like moved by that story, the the prodigal son story. And I felt I felt a connection, right? Oh, prodigal son, that's like so me, you know. And so um, from that moment on, I kept going out to church. And I, I think I was still kind of uh, in, a, in a place where I was, you know, just starting to repent, come to repentance, just starting to understand what community was. And for me at that moment, um, I think for me, I only thing that kept me going out was literally because I, you know, I've tried drugs. I did all these things, but I felt something different when I was at the church. When I was with these people, there was like this joy and this peace that I felt that I, I didn't feel anywhere else. And so, you know, that's the one thing that made me keep going out. I was like, I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand these Bible stories. I don't understand what all this is. But, like, hey, I actually feel really happy here. And so that made me going out. kept going out. But see, at this time, this was 2012, and I, I was at UC Irvine, and a part of my study, uh, my program, international studies, is I got to go study abroad, get international experience. And so um, for me, it was either, it made sense, okay, I'm studying NK human rights. I got to go to either Korea or China. But at that time, I was like, I don't think I can do China. Like, I, I just think I'm not ready to, like, because I've always lived at home. And so uh, for me, I was like, maybe I should just go back to Korea. But then I was like, shoot, I'm going to be there for one year. Last time I went to Korea, was so bad, you know. So I was thinking, man, it's either going to be a good experience for me. Like, I think I'm going to grow and hopefully God will take care of me. Or I'm going to just probably, like, slip under somewhere bad. And, like, I'm just going to come back and all this progress is going to go to waste. Right? But nonetheless, I had to come. So I came out. Uh, and yeah, I, um, I came, I moved here in 2012 early and then, um, I went, you know, I was going to orientation just like many of you guys went to that exchange student orientation that I spoke at. Um, I got to orientation. I heard, you know, Pastor Aaron, who's the co-lead pastor of New Philly, she went up there and she spoke and she did kind of what I did. Like, hey guys, this is Emmaus, come out, hang out with us, whatever. So I was like, oh, like, okay, there's a Christian ministry Man, I guess I should join it because, like, I need accountability. And so I signed up not really knowing what to expect. Not really, yeah, I had no idea. I didn't really, like, know anything. I was just like, man, I, I think I need accountability. So I went out. And, um, yeah, to be honest, my first experience at New Philly Church was really bad. And so I grew up in a very Korean-American Presbyterian church, very conservative. We don't clap. We don't pray out loud. We don't, like, we smile, but, like, you know, like, it's just kind of like we're just there, you know? And, um... But when I came to New Philly, if you guys visited New Philadelphia Church before, we're very extravagant in our worship to God. And um, 
And so when I, when I, I went out, it was college welcome Sunday. At that time, it was only one Sunday. Now we have month, right? If you guys have heard the emails, college welcome month, come out. Last, back then, it was college welcome Sunday. So the, I, you know, Matt Coe was actually one of my staff members. It's pretty funny. And they would tell me, like, hey, hey, come out. Come out to, like, our church. We're under New Philly. I never heard about New Philly. I was like, what is this church? But I went out on my first Sunday, and um, I went. Everyone was worshiping the Lord, and I stood there, and I was like, this is a cult. This is a cult. Why? Because they're raising their hands and they're like dancing and singing and like I don't know what they're talking about. And before I came to Korea, I got warned by like my family members like, so you gotta be careful. There's mad cults out there. Like you gotta be careful. They're gonna trick you. You're gonna think it's a Christian church, but it's not. And so, you know, and so I I walked in and because I didn't know what was going on, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a cult. I got tricked. No, you know, I should have went, I should have went to another church. And so, but I, I stood there and I was, I stood there with my arms crossed and I was like not worshiping the Lord because I was so offended. And then um, at that time, our lead pastors were like, hey, it's College Welcome Sunday. We just want to pray for some students. So we're going to call some students out. If it's okay, we want to pray for you and bless you. And so like, whatever, they, they called out a student, a student went out and I was just sitting there like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then Pastor Aaron, who at the time was a director of this ministry, she, she, I didn't even know. She called me out, but obviously I was talking to myself. And I wasn't paying attention. So she, she's like, hey, like, like that girl over there, right? And then, you know, like, I don't know your name, but her. And then I was just like, dude, like, I'm never coming back. What am I doing here? <laughs> Shoot, you know, like, what is it, you know? And then, and then I think she was like, told one of the Emmaus, like, members back then, like, hey, can you get her attention? So someone's like, hey, Sarah, I think she's calling you. And I was like, and she's like, yeah. I was like, crap, you know, like, Shoot. So I, I, I was like, uh, you know, I didn't want to be rude. Like, I didn't know what was going on, but I didn't want to be rude. So I was like, oh, whatever. I just like, went up there, and then they prayed for the girl next to me. She started crying, and I was like, oh, my God, what is, well, they're doing something weird. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, and, then, and then they came, and they prayed for me. And then, you know, at first, I was like, okay, like, you know, this is nice. They're just praying for me. And then uh, Pastor Erin started praying for me, and she started prophesying over me. She started saying things that, like, I, I never met. I, I never spoke to her before. So I was like, how do you know? how are you saying things about how I feel and what I think and what I'm doing with my life like that? I've never told you, I've never told anyone else about like, why are you, how do you know all this? Right. But you know, I'm just standing there like, what the heck is going on? You know? But at that moment for me, I, I started crying. Cause I was, you know, the words that she was saying, it hit hundred percent. I was like, that's exactly how I feel. That's exactly what I've been going through. Exactly what I think, you know? And I didn't understand what was going on. I couldn't comprehend it. But the only thing I knew was she's saying things that only God could know about me because no one else here knows me, you know? And so there, it has to be God speaking to her. How could she know this about me? And so from that moment, that was like the, my first experience, uh, like, I think of, of understanding like, hey, God knows me and God, God, you know, speaks to me through other people, right? And so from there, uh, you know, I was like really curious. I was like, what is this church about? I still think they're a cult, but that was really cool. Because they prayed for me and I got really blessed. And so I, I, I signed up for membership because I wanted to know about the church. So I signed up. I got to know, okay, this church is not that funky. Like, they, they're, they're biblically doctrine, all these things. So I started attending. And, um, yeah, I started just growing. And, um, you know, it was all good and all. But I joined the Familia as well. That's our small group ministry. And I remember my first time I was at Paris Baguette. I don't know if it's still there. It's, like, behind SK Global on the corner. There's, like, a Paris Baguette. And we had a first Familia meeting there. And at the time, my leader was Sarah Yu, who's another uh, member at New Philly Church. And we were doing this thing called the Father's Ladder. I don't know if you guys heard it. But it's like, oh, write down the first three words that you think of when you hear the word friend, uh, father, and mother. Okay? And so, like, okay, so I wrote, okay, father. Okay, I wrote, like, five adjectives. Okay, mother. Okay, I wrote five adjectives. And then friend. It was, like, friend, right? And then I, I got stuck. And, like, I remember I was with my group. 
And they're all like writing stuff. They're waiting for me. And they're like, are you done? I was like, no, no I don't understand. Like, I, I can only think of one word, but this word is not even a good word. So I don't, I, I don't want to land on this, but I can't think of any other adjectives. Right? And then my leader was calm. She's like, it's okay. Just, just say that one word. And I was like, you don't understand. I don't want to say that one word. Right? <laughs> but then, but then, uh, yeah. Okay. And so, yeah. So basically I shared and, you know, I said whatever. And then for friend, they're like, hey, what was your word? And I said, shallow. And they're like, shallow. <laughs> Even they were like, what? Yeah. I was like, yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know why. Like, that's the only word I can think of. And, um, you know, at that moment, I didn't know why, but, as I kind of kept coming out to Emmaus, as I kept coming out to Nephilian church and kind of meeting God and, and learning more about, you know, getting into relationship with God, then he started to unravel what that meant. And um, for me, uh, how I figured that out was uh, I went to the Emmaus retreat. So we have an Emmaus retreat every fall. At the time, it was called Emmaus New Wine Retreat. That was the theme, New Wine. And I just went out. And um, I remember, like, that whole retreat, I got really sick. So majority of the first two days, I was in the staff room sleeping because I just couldn't, like, I, was, I had a really bad cold. I was pissed. I was like, why am I at this retreat? I should have gone to the MT. Like, why am I here, you know? And then, like, uh, but the last session, I was like, oh, I should just go out and, like, try to attend. And so Pastor Erin was up there, and she was talking about, like, something called H&D. We call it healing and deliverance. And she was talking about, like, yeah, there's things that you guys are holding on to, like traumas and hurts and sin and things that you want to hide you don't want to bring to god but god wants to you know wants you to bring it up he wants you to let it go he wants to bring and shine light into that right and so as she's saying all these things i'm sitting there and god's kind of like vividly flashing scenes before my eyes and i was like oh crap i don't want to look at this you know because it was uh, a time in my life during those three years where i was apart from god where i was in deep sexual sin like with another person and it was really bad it was bondage it was so bad but i i couldn't like I was so ashamed of those times of, like, me with this person and things that we did um, that, like, I, I just didn't want to talk about with people. I never wanted to bring it up. And, and, the, and that clicked in my head why the word shallow came to my mind because, because of that incident, because of that time of my life where, um, you know, I did all these things. Like, I didn't – I couldn't share it with my friends. So there was, like, a wall between me and my friends because, like, you know, I didn't want to get too close with them because I don't want them to know everything about me. And so I kept this wall. So all my relationships with my friends back home, they're very shallow. Like, they don't, they don't really know anything about me because I, won't let the, I wouldn't let them in. And so, um, yeah, so that's when it clicked in my mind at that retreat. Like, that's why my, my, the word shallow came up because I'm, like, scared because I'm so ashamed, right? And so at that moment, she, Pastor Aaron was like, yeah, if you guys want to come up and you guys want to, you know, like, receive prayer and let that go, um, come. And all the staff, they're lined up here. They're going to pray for you. So I was like, all right, God, because he's, like, flashing, like, vivid images in my mind, and it was, like, hurting me. So I was like, okay, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. Just give me a moment, okay? Like, I need to psych myself out. And then right then, Pastor Aaron's on the mic. She's like, just, you don't need to wait. Just do it now. And I was like, dang it, you know? So I got up. I was like, fine. And I went up. And at that time, um, the staff member was Eunice Lee, who's currently the campus director for Korea University. She's standing there and, like, I was crying for 30 minutes because I couldn't get the words out. I was like, I don't want to say this. I don't want to talk about it. But she was patiently just like, it's okay. It's okay. And then, you know, finally I, I said it. I confessed. I said, you know, I, I, I said I did this and this and this with this person. I did this and this and this and this. This is what I did. This is my sin. This is like whatever, whatever. And I started crying. And um, she, as soon as I just confessed it and the words left my mouth, the first thing she did was she just hugged me. And for me, that shattered every, like, pre 
preconceived thing that I thought of. Like, because, you know, in my mind, I'm like, if my friends all knew these things about me, they wouldn't love me the same way. But in that moment, Eunice, for me, she heard everything and she still loved me. She still hugged me. And, and in that moment, I just started bawling. I was like, dang, this is, this is crazy. Like, how could people be like this, you know? How could they love someone like me? But she just um, prayed for me. She led me through a prayer. And, um, yeah, for me, that was a moment where I think if I had a blockage or a wall between me and God and me and other people, it's when it completely broke. And so for me, that my walk with the Lord kind of just exp- exponentially grew right? after that moment. Um, I went to New Philly's retreat, and um, I encountered God very powerfully. I went up for, a, like, an altar call, and a leader prayed for me. And, um, yeah, I couldn't explain the feelings that I felt. The, the things that I felt, but I think in that moment I realized, man, God is a very real God. And God, you can physically feel him. We talk about, like, you know, being in God's presence and things like that. But I don't know if you guys ever felt what that felt like to be in God's presence. To know that God is really real. Like, you can feel it in your body. Physically feel it. I felt that at the retreat. And, um, yeah, I came back from the retreat just knowing, like, without a doubt, man, God is real and he's alive today and he's moving today. Like, I knew that. And then that summer, I went to missions, okay? Like, my life, it was just like an acceleration. I just kept going. I went on missions with New Philly. I went to West Papua. And, um, yeah, if you guys want to hear more about that, I'll tell you guys. But basically, on that trip, I was a videographer. I didn't know anything about video. It was the first time I ever held a camera. But they were like, hey, you should do it. I was like, sure. I might screw it up, but I'll do it. And I did it. Um, and it was at that trip where uh, I witnessed miracles that I can't, like, even... I can't even, like, fully comprehend to this day what I saw on those trips. Um, I saw a blind man see before my eyes. We prayed for him three times, and he got his sight restored. I saw a lame woman. She got dragged in, carried into a service. We prayed for her, and she walked out on her own two feet walking out. Like, I saw these things before my eyes, and I couldn't explain. I couldn't understand it. But I just knew, man, God has to be real. How could this happen? You know, how could this happen? And um, we have videos of it, actually, recap videos that you guys could actually watch. But for me... That summer was where my faith kind of just jumped because that's when I saw things and I saw things that I read about in the book of Acts and in the Bible and I saw it before my eyes happen. And so, um, yeah, from that moment on, I think like I came back and it was my second semester. I served as a student leader here and I just got discipled and I grew a lot. And from there, I kind of made a commitment in my heart, you know, because God had already called me to do NK work to be here. Um, I knew I was going to come back to Korea anyways, but it was then where I made this commitment, like in my heart, man, God, I'm fully committed to you. I'm all in and I want to serve you. I want to be in this nation. And so, um, yeah, I think from that moment on, like, because that experience for me when I was a college student, when I was in Emmaus, when I was in New Philly, um, I experienced things that I, I, I never had experienced before. I learned characteristics of God that I've never knew about. Because I never learned it in church. I never learned about the Holy Spirit and his ministries. I never knew that you can pray for people and they're going to get healing today. I didn't know all these things. But I learned it. And I, I, I saw it happen from my eyes. And from then on, kind of my prayer was always like, anyone I encounter, anyone I meet, like I want, I want to pray and I want to, you know, as Apostle Paul prayed over the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 3, like I wanted that to be my prayer for everyone I meet. And it says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So that was my prayer. Like, God, everyone I meet, everyone I encounter, I just want them to know the fullness of God. Like, I just want them to know what that means. 
the fullness of God. And, um, you know, and a lot of you guys are probably wondering, why, why is this ministry called the Maze Campus Ministry? You know, when I, was, when I first came here and I saw it, I didn't know because I, I didn't read the Bible. So I didn't know that it was a maze. I thought it was a, ma- a mouse. So I remember walking up to the information. I was like, is this a mouse? And they're like, oh, a maze? So I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, you know, like, I didn't know. But, um, yeah, I'm sure a lot of you guys are wondering, why is it a maze? Some of you guys know that uh, it's from an account in Luke ch- uh, chapter 24, right? On the road to maze. There's an account. And this account is often seen as the model of the journey that Jesus makes with many of us today. Um, right, it's these two disciples walking down a road, and the road, the physical road, was called the Maze Road. And uh, you know, they're just going about their lives, living their lives, and they meet a man who opens the scriptures to them. Right, they meet a man on the road. They don't know who he is, but they're talking to him, and he starts going through all the accounts in the scriptures and just talking and interpreting it for them. And um, later, they realize that this man was Jesus himself. Okay, they have this revelation. Oh my gosh, that was Jesus. He came and he spoke to us. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Right? They have this encounter with Jesus. They get set on fire and they run back to Jerusalem and they tell everyone of what Jesus said to them. That Jesus is alive. That this is what he's teaching. This is what he's doing. Okay, so that's the story of the Maze Road. And um, yeah, I think that... That is what we're all about. What is Emmaus? Our goal is to walk alongside you as you're on this journey, on the Emmaus road, right? To point you to Jesus, right? To open the scriptures with you and say, hey, this is who Jesus is. To, uh, for, to, you know, to lead you guys to encountering who Jesus is. Just like me, realizing, man, Jesus is real. He's alive today. You can physically feel him with you sometimes. You know that he's there. He's, he still moves today. He still does all these things, right? And for your heart to burn with fire for Jesus, that's what we want. This is what we do, Emmaus. And so, um, yeah, and to know the fullness of God, like Apostle Paul prayed over the Ephesians, right? And so, um, now I know not all of you guys went out to New Philly this past Sunday, um, but we just started a sermon series called Real Life, and part one was called Discovery, okay? and it was a really good sermon. If you guys want to hear it, it's, it's online on our Facebook page, but, um, you know, the preacher talked about the importance of understanding the story that you are a part of. That's what this first sermon was all about, um, who you are in God's story that he is writing, we all want to know our callings in life, but if you want to understand where you're going, you got to know where you came from, right? That's what he would say. If you want to know where you're going, you want to know your calling, you want to know where you're headed, you got to know what, what happened in your past. You got to know where you came from, right? And he says, God puts the basics of his blueprint for your, for your life in your background, right? God puts the basics of his blueprint for your life in your background, right? And so my Emmaus Road story played and is a very huge part of what I'm doing right now, right? Who would have imagined that, like, four years later, I'll be standing here in the ministry that, like, led me to Christ, pretty much. I'm, like, overseeing it here at Yonze, and I get to do the same thing that my leaders did for me, for you guys, right? Um, but I needed to go through everything that I did in the past. God had to take me through the ups and downs in order to get me to where I am today, yeah? If I didn't do drugs, I couldn't stand here and tell you guys how messed up it is. Don't do it, Right? Uh, if I didn't lose a friend in eighth grade, I couldn't tell you that I've dealt with death and loss, but I know it's going to be okay, right? Uh, if I didn't encounter the Holy Spirit and see all the things I did on my mission trip, I couldn't stand here and tell you guys, like, with my whole being that Jesus is very real, right? If I didn't go through the year of asking questions, but in faith allowing my leaders to speak into my life in Emmaus four years ago, I wouldn't be able to stand here and confidently tell you guys that this ministry is, like, the real deal, it's the only reason why I'm actually here, able to, you know, speak in front of you guys and, and minister, right? And so my hope and prayer 
for all of you guys here and every student that joins Emmaus here at Yonsei, at Korea University, at Seoul National, and even in Australia, we have two plants in Australia. For every student that comes through Emmaus, uh, like my, my hope and prayer is that um, you guys walk away from here in Korea with another page in your story, right? In the story that God's writing in your life. Um, that with the help of our crew and the other leaders that are here, that you'll understand that what's happened in your past has shaped who you are today, but also that God revealed to you that in the next six months, in the next year, in the next four years that you guys are here, God knew, he already set it apart in his calendar, what he wants you guys to know, what he wants you guys to grow in. He knows everything about you. There's a greater narrative that he is the author and perfecter of, right? And so... um, yeah, I just want to invite you guys to take part of the journey that God wants to take you on. And that is what Emmaus is. That is why the six of us are here and we, you know, you know, it's my full-time job, so I'm here. You know, it's my job. But, you know, the other five, they have a full-time job, but they joyfully come after work twice a week to just come and hang out with you guys and minister to you guys. And so tonight, we didn't have a regular large group. Right, next week when you guys come, if you guys come, we're going to have worship. We're going to pray together. We're going to hear a sermon. But today, I, I wanted to just kind of share with you guys the Mayus Road story that it's very real for me personally. And I wanted to kind of use my testimony to show you guys what this ministry is and what it does.